0: So, yeah, Derek just uh, talked about uh, doing things outside of our comfort zone. And, you know, you can listen to anybody you want to, and they're going to tell you that that's sometimes a good thing to do. It helps you to grow. If you don't mind, uh, I'd like to give you a bit of advice that's worked for me. I just did away with my comfort zone. I don't even have one anymore. Uh, I don't I don't even know what it's like to be comfortable anymore. It's helped me out a lot. Uh, <laughs> but, uh All other things aside, I'm up here today, and that's because Brother Fisher's down under the weather a little bit right now, Uh, and I got the word on that as we were preparing to go out to Word of Life. Uh, Samuel was just out there from Thursday till yesterday uh, for campus preview days out there to see what student life is like as he's considering what he wants to do going forward. Uh, So I didn't have the greatest amount of time to prepare for this, so uh, as you might guess, this is going to be a bit brief, but we're going to be turning to the book of Ephesians today. Uh, we're going to be turning to Ephesians chapter 2, when Brother Fisher texted me to let me know that he wasn't going to be here. Uh, I told him, I said, I already had something kind of stewing in the back of my mind, and for anybody who's been in uh, Second Timothy and even First Timothy, we know uh, what was the church that Somebody from Sunday school let me know, what's the church Timothy was pastoring? Ephesus, right? Uh, So, naturally, a good study to have parallel with the books of Timothy is look at the books of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, right? So I've been doing that. I don't just uh, suggest these things to you guys and don't do it myself. I've been looking at the book of Ephesians. And what really struck me, and it, I believe it parallels, in fact we referred to it a little bit uh, at the tail end of Sunday school this morning, was Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 specifically. That gives you the ballpark we're going to be in today. We're, actually, if you really want to know the passage we're going to read, we're going to read Ephesians 2 verses 1 all the way down to 10, but I'm getting there. Uh, this is Timothy's church. Obviously it was dealing with the same problems that Paul's writing to Timothy about. But Ephesians is written more in a general way. Hey, you folks in Ephesus, there were a lot of people in Ephesus. Ephesus was a major town in the Roman Empire in the day. Uh, You guys in Ephesus, these are things that you want to be thinking about. How to be a better church. How to operate better. Timothy is... Timothy, this is Paul, same guy, writing to Timothy to say, here's things you need to watch out for as you're helping guide this church along through. Uh, so today, as we're looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses, we're going to be focusing on uh, verse 6 to 10. That's really all I'm going to be preaching from. But in order to get the context, we need to back all the way up to verse 1. So we're going to read the whole passage. And what we're going to focus on today is our standing in Christ. Our standing in Christ. It's important. If we're going to call ourselves Christians, if we're going to try and live the way Christians ought to live, we ought to know what our standing is. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. I'd like to read our, our whole overview passage. I'd like to have a word of prayer because I think I need to. And then we'll get looking at it. It goes like this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit which now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy... For his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I do thank you for the privilege of being your workmanship. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to lift your name up. Your name that's above all names, the only name that's worthy of my praise. Help me to be able to glorify that name and to bring honor to it. It's in that name I pray, amen. So as I say today, I want to focus on Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 to 10. And as I say, the title would be our standing in Christ. And our responsibilities that come in light of that standing. But in order to properly understand it, we needed to read the whole context of what Paul's saying in this passage. If I jumped right in in verse 6, it says, And hath raised us up together and made us to sit together. We're jumping right in the middle of a thought. So we can't do that. This is one of Paul's very famous, very complex passages. Uh, I didn't actually look it up, but I believe that this is the longest sentence in the Bible. Uh, The passage here, I think I'm jumping right in the middle of one of the longest sentences in the Bible. Paul's famous for that. Uh, And he's given a list of the blessings that we have in Christ. I really only have time to preach one aspect of it today. I really only had time to prepare for preaching one little section of it. Uh, and it's right in the middle of his thought. But as we start at verse 1, we see some of the things that God has done. He's taken us from a state of spiritual deadness. That's what he says, and you hath he quickened. He's made you alive. He's taken us from a state of spiritual deadness, and he's made us alive in him. That alone is quite a thought. And he did that for no other reason than because he is rich in mercy and loves us so much. According to verse 4. Now recently, very recently, I've had uh, to have some dealings with someone who's very bitter toward God. Somebody who's very bitter toward God. Uh, And they feel that they've had a raw hand dealt to them all their life. And they have. They've had some... uh, Tragic things happen in their lifetime. But the fact is, God's very merciful and God's very gracious toward us just by allowing us to live at all. That's the fact. Let alone to live with the blessings which He gives to us so richly each and every day. Once again, your life is greatly affected by the things that you choose to focus on. I could focus on, look at that, it's another dreary, overcast, miserable, cold, raw, rainy day. We've had a whole summer full of those, haven't we? I could focus on that, and I'd be depressed, wouldn't I? Or I can focus on that I have another day to live and breathe and to share the gospel with a dying world. Now, what kind of attitude is that going to give you? It's going to put a different, uh, different perspective on things, isn't it? Now, we ought to be happy and thankful for God's grace seen in every single thing that he does for us. Every single little thing that comes our way, we ought to focus on that. See, Paul knew that. Paul knew that. Paul had been stoned at this point when he's writing the book of Ephesians. Paul had been stoned, he'd been beaten, he'd been imprisoned, uh, he'd been left for dead, uh, and yet he still sees God as being ever gracious to him, doesn't he? Paul could have been bitter. God, why did you let me be drug outside of the city, stoned, and left for dead? I believe he actually did die at that point, but that's, that's kind of off topic here. I believe God miraculously revived him after that. I, I don't think the people in that city were stupid. Yep, I think they checked the heartbeat. There's nothing there. There's no breathing. He's dead, and I believe he was. That's beside the point. Paul had seen a pretty raw deal himself. He'd been shipwrecked. Uh, he'd been bitten by a poisonous snake that should have killed him. Uh, all kinds of things have happened. I I doubt if any of us, anybody sitting here, has been uh, tortured, beaten, and stoned to death. Any, nobody, nobody here? So... If Paul didn't complain about the situations that he did have, then why am I complaining? What made Paul so confident that he didn't complain about the situation? Because he had been tortured, beaten, left in prison, stoned to death, nearly drowned in the sea, shipwrecked, bitten by poisonous snakes, suffered all kinds of things, and he didn't complain. Well, here's what happens. We'll pick up at our passage, verse 6 and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, we're all already backed all the way up to verse 1 and we saw that Ueath quickened. He's made us alive, spiritually alive. But besides just being made alive in Christ, which by itself is more than I deserve, Paul says that we're raised up together. Raised up together. Raised up to what status? Made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, just as Christ was raised up and exalted, and Christ was, remember, He was raised from, literally, His body was raised from the tomb. The stone was rolled away. He walked out. He walked around with His disciples and other folks Uh, for 50 days, or almost 50 days. uh, Then he ascended into heaven from the Mount of Olives. He was raised out of this mortal life, out of this earthly life, and he was elevated to a heavenly realm, wasn't he? Well, it says that I'm raised together to heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So just as he was elevated out of this mortal realm to a glorious realm, so am I. I have a new and powerful position in him. And along with that position comes a new set of values, which ought to motivate my new lifestyle, hadn't it? My new position has a new set of values, and that new set of values ought ought to drive my lifestyle. See, Paul talks about this more in detail. Let's turn over to Colossians. By the way, Colossians was the next city over from Ephesians. So when you're reading Ephesians, Colossians is very closely related. Colossians chapter 3. Verses 1 and 2. He goes into a little more detail over here. Actually, let's read it all the way down to verse 4. If ye then... Be risen with Christ, and we just said we are. Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And Christ, who is your life, shall appear. Then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Twice it says that I should set my affection on things that are above I need to seek those things that are above you know the more this world goes on and on the less I want to focus on anything here Uh, but here Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 it's really telling you don't be looking at these things on earth don't be focused on these things why are you so worried all the things that all the things that depress us and get us down are right here on earth aren't they Every single one. If I want to talk about the weather and get mopey about another dreary, miserable day, that's here on earth. That's here on earth. My focus is wrong. I need to change the direction. I need to look at those things which are above. Now again, not only has God made us alive and He's raised us with Christ, but He has seated us with Christ as well in heavenly places. And again, This is also in the perfect tense, brother. Uh, We were talking about that. We talked about it during uh, Sunday school, and I was talking with John a little bit ago. This is also in the perfect tense. We are now seated in heavenly places, and we forever will be seated in heavenly places. This is a position. It's true now, and it will be true forever going forward. Christ is in a heavenly place right now, right? And he is expected to be on that place forever going forward. And so am I, if I'm seated with him. And I am. Well, if I'm positionally in a heavenly place with Christ right beside me, that ought to make me consider my choices a little more soberly, shouldn't it? Put a little more sober perspective on things. Because, you see... My citizenship isn't so much here in the United States on earth. I'm a citizen of heaven. So even as much as I love my country, no matter what happens to this United States on earth, it doesn't really matter, That does it? It really doesn't matter. None of that matters. I'm a citizen of heaven. Let's look at Philippians chapter 3. Paul, I know this is the perspective Paul had. Philippians chapter 3. It's only just a couple of pages over. Uh, verse 20. He says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to talk about what our bodily resurrection is going to be like. Oh, let's look at it. Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able, even to subdue all things unto himself. I wasn't going to read that verse, but that right there ought to encourage you as well. See, Christ is the exalted Son of God. He's the Son of God, and he is now exalted to sit on a throne in heaven. Positionally, that's where he is. You and I are also exalted as sons and daughters of God, too. Isn't that a blessed thing? Right there with Christ. You see, what God has done for you and I is really no different than what He did for Jesus on that very first Resurrection Sunday, is it? Christ died physically, right? Nailed to a cross... He died, he suffered, he bled out, took his last breath, he was dead. Dead. Three days later, that body was revived, it was made glorious, the stone was rolled away, I know that the body was made glorious because the wounds weren't bleeding anymore and he was able to walk through locked doors. Now, I was dead spiritually, but the end result is exactly the same. This body hasn't been resurrected yet. It hasn't been restored to, I can't walk through walls. I can't walk through locked doors yet. But spiritually, it's exactly the same. The same almighty power of God that could make the body of Christ rise up out of that grave, roll back the stone, and allow him to minister to others is the same power that you and I have working through us as his witnesses. So let me ask a question. If that's true, and it is, what do you have to fear from this world? The Romans could put Jesus to death drove spikes through his mortal body and killed him what could they, they couldn't they set a guard up to keep him in the grave and that guard couldn't do anything to his risen body could it they couldn't do anything to his risen body they could lock doors to keep other people out but that didn't stop his risen body did it That same power enables you and I to share the gospel with this dead and dying world around us. What can this world do to stop that? Yep, they can put this body to death. Yes, they can. But that's all. That's all. And you know what? That's not too big a deal to me anymore. Verse 7. That in the ages to come... He might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through through Christ Jesus. So we've just looked at our present state, which is our present state now and will continue forever. Now Paul's looking at what we can look forward to in the future, our future state, which we still have to look forward to. It hasn't happened yet. And God's going to do all these things that he does to us so that in the future... He might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us. That's why he's doing these things. Now, the word translated shoe here, you're looking in the King James, it's shoe. Uh, It's a Greek word, and it's indexitai, indexitai, which means to put on full display, put on full display, or to demonstrate. God wants to put us on full display, before his whole creation. Now isn't that something to think about? That's why he's done the things that he had. That's why he's raised us up together. He's made us to sit in heavenly places. That, this is why, in the ages to come, he might show, display, the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. All the blessings that you and I have that come to us are to show how great and rich is His grace. Do you see that? Everything that happens to us is to show how rich and great His grace is. In that He saved someone who deserved nothing more than death and eternal damnation. And yet He chose to save that. Did you know that that's why God allows us to be saved at all? That's the only reason God allows us to be saved at all. So that all creation can see how rich His grace is. And that puts a different perspective on things, doesn't it? It's not so much about me, is it? Now this word uh, kindness here, it's a Greek word... uh, it's Christotitai. Christotitai. It means that which is appropriate or that which is suitable. So let's think about that for a minute. That in the ages to come, he might put on full display the exceeding riches of his grace in his Christotitai. The only thing that was appropriate for him to do toward us through Christ Jesus. The only appropriate way that God could express His love to those people who were spiritually dead is to give them life. What a God. What a God. Do you get a little bit of a picture of what salvation means? It's easy to talk about. We talk about, I've been saved. We talk about these things. Do you see the depth here? Here's where I really wanted to focus today. Verses 8 and 9. I want to look at them together. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. These verses here, verses 8 and 9, they they're very, we've all memorized them, we all know them. They really explain what Paul means when he speaks of the exceeding riches of his grace. And he also kind of flashes back, I don't know if you caught it, and this is part of why I wanted to read all the way back to verse 1. Uh, he flashes back to a parenthetical statement that he made in verse 5. He's, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, in parentheses, by grace ye are saved. Sounds a lot like what he says in verse 8, right? For by grace are ye saved. He flashes right back to it. See, this is why you've got to look at it in context. Paul hasn't lost his mind. He's he's referring back to the original thought that he had back in verse 5. But here in verse 8, Paul makes a little bit of an addition to it. I don't know if you saw that. And he describes the mechanism by which that grace works. And that is through faith. For by grace are you saved. It's by God's own grace that I'm saved, but that grace comes through faith. The basis of my salvation is nothing but the grace of God. We've talked about that. That's all I've talked about so far this morning. And the means by which that grace acts on my behalf is through faith alone. Now, don't misunderstand this like some people do. There are people out there who who do good. Good Christians may have a misunderstanding on that. That if you have enough faith in God, then you've earned your salvation. Some people take this passage and they interpret it that way, and that's completely wrong. Faith does not earn us salvation. Rather, faith is the means by which salvation comes to us. Faith is the means by which salvation comes to us. And Paul explains that in the next phrase. Uh, but I want to make this perfectly, perfectly clear as we're looking at it. Because plenty of people get confused on this, and this is where people get the whole idea that salvation can be lost. Because if, faith, if my faith somehow falters, then I can lose my salvation, right? If you're interpreting that as my faith is what brings my, God's grace to me in saving me, if my faith my faith better never falter because if my faith ever does falter then i'm going to lose my salvation our methodist friends believe this that's what the methodist church believes but that cannot be the case as we're about to see because the next phrase says and that not of yourselves it is the gift of god even the faith by which salvation comes is not from me. You see, that's why I can't lose my salvation as a Christian. Even the faith by which it comes is a gift from God himself. We never could have saving faith if God didn't give it to us first. So let's think back. The grace is from God. The salvation is from God. And the faith by which that salvation comes is from God. So how much of it do I put into it? Nothing. Nothing. And that comes even more clear, if you need it to be clarified even more, that's what verse 9 is all about not of works, lest any man should boast. Do you realize that if it were my extraordinary faith that made the way for my salvation, then I would have something to brag about, wouldn't I? Well, I had enough faith. God was obliged to save me. I had that much faith that God had to save me. And you might laugh, but the truth is we come dangerously close to saying that when we use expressions like, well, I accepted Christ. Do you realize how close we come to say- when you use a phrase, it seems like an innocent phrase, doesn't it? I accepted Christ. My faith, I, I made a conscious decision to accept Christ. That sounds an awful lot like me boasting about my faith was so good, God was obliged to save me. God's not beholden to anybody. We talked earlier about how He is sovereign. He is the Lord of all creation. There is no one that tells Him what He should and should not do. If God didn't give me the offer, show me the grace, and give me the faith, I'd still be a dead man walking. And that's why not one of us can boast, except in our Lord. That's the one thing we can boast in. Want something to cheer you up? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter one. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31. Uh, and I'm actually going to back all the way up to verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So that brings us to verse 10, back in Ephesians chapter 2 which is the verse that I was looking at in 2 Timothy class and which spawned all of this that we're looking at today. So we're going to wrap up with verse 10. We're almost done. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Notice the word that verse 10 starts right off with. For. For. So, what that tells me is that we are about to get a further explanation on why none of us has anything to boast about. Right? The last thing we looked at was that not of works, lest any man should boast. For, here's why you should not be boasting for we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. We didn't do any work for salvation. The work was all his. The word workmanship here is the Greek word poema. Poema. Which is only used here and in Romans chapter 1 verse 20. Let's look at the other place where it's used. Romans chapter 1 verse 20. Only only two times poema is used. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. That's poema. Even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. That word poema, it sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's the word from which we get poem. It refers to what it literally means as a magnificent work of art, a masterpiece, somebody's magnum opus. It's the masterpiece. It's the best piece that this particular artist ever made. We are his poema. It's different than the word that's used to describe human works. The word used to describe human works is ergon. We talked about that in Sunday school a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and that's from which we get a word to describe effort-producing work is erg. In your, from your high school physics class, you learned about ergs. Uh, you may not remember that anymore. But uh, do you realize that you and I, as believers, are God's masterpiece on display? the greatest thing that God considers himself to have ever done is to save humanity. And each Christian is an example of that, that God wants to put on display to show all of the rest of his creation. Look at that. Look at that. Created in Christ Jesus, it says. But more than just a painting to be hung on a wall you know i can can go down i could go down this afternoon if i wanted to to the boston museum of fine art right and i could look at paintings on a wall or sculptures standing in a corner and they're great some of them are beautiful some of them not so much but they're not really serving any purpose are they other than my pleasure at looking at them they're just a painting on a wall just a statue in a corner. More than just a painting to be hung on a wall, we're created with a distinct purpose, do you see? We're a masterpiece that's created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Unto good works. Do you see the transition here? Our salvation cannot be achieved by good works but our salvation is supposed to result in good works. That's like what Titus chapter 2 and verse 14 says. Let's take a look at that. we got lots of time. uh, Actually, let's look at a couple of verses in Titus. Titus 2 and 14 says this. Uh, I, I am. I'm jumping in the middle of a thought. We're talking about... Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Zealous of good works. Skip down to chapter 3 and verse 8. This is a faithful saying. And those things I will that, you aff- that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Sounds similar, doesn't it? Created to do good works. Notice something else about these good works that we're to do. They are works. Oops, I lost my my verse. There it is. They are works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. See, God has prepared, He's already prepared some good works for me to do already. He's already got them lined up. He knows the good works that I ought to be doing. Hopefully this is one of them. But He's lined them up. But notice a subtle thing that many people miss. God has not prepared, everybody's, everybody sees, all right, God's prepared these good works, okay. God has not prepared these works in advance for me to work in them, He's prepared these works in advance that I may walk in them. Isn't that interesting? created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Well, what's the big deal with the wording, Brother Dan? What's the point? God has prepared a path of good works for us in our Christian walk which He will perform in and through us. Don't you see? He's prepared them ahead of time. He's laid them out. He is going to do the work. Even that I can't do. Even those works aren't my doing, but rather God working through me. And that's like what we read when we go to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. This, I promise this will be the last reference I want to have you look up. Philippians 2.13 For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do, of His good pleasure. You see, it helps to keep things in proper perspective when we begin to realize that there is absolutely nothing that we can do. Period. Not just for my salvation, there is absolutely nothing that I can do. That's all there is. Even as a saved believer, there is absolutely nothing I can do. I am utterly powerless without God's enabling. It's kind of like a glove sitting on the floor. The glove can't do anything until there's a hand in it. So let's wrap this up. I've gone on long enough. It's time to bring it home. What we've seen in this passage that we've looked at, really from verse 1 all the way down to verse 10, is that although you and I and all other believers in this world were once spiritually dead, we deserved nothing but the eternal wrath of God, God saw fit through His marvelous grace to provide salvation for us through His own faith. And as a result of that miracle, we are now God's glorious masterpiece set on full display for all the rest of creation. And He uses us to perform even more and even greater works to his own glory. What a blessed truth. What a blessed truth. Will you let me thank him for it? Lord, we do thank you this morning. your kindness and your grace is unsearchable. You are an almighty God. You're the only sovereign over all creation. Help us to share with this world around us just how great your grace is so that all can bow down and confess you as their Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.